You may be seated. I just want to kind of catch up on a couple things before we start this morning with the message. Uh, today is the last day to accept deacon nomination. So uh, uh, if you have that, that you got a person that God has placed on your heart for that, please make sure you go back to the iDesk, fill out the paperwork, have that person signed that you're nominating for deacon. Uh, that'd be greatly appreciated. Uh, it ends today. So just keep in mind for that. Also, uh, if you look in your handout there, you're going to see that we have 15 new members to our church family. And uh, if you look through that list, now there is one um, uh, thing that we have failed to put in there that is important. I think the last name we have in there is Arnold. It's actually Armold. Armold. So that's an M, not an N. And of course, that's Lynn and Nick and Rebecca. So uh, anyway, just pray for these new members that they'll be able to come in. Many of them already have found a connect group to be a part of, and uh, uh, they're probably now looking for a place to serve here in the body. So be praying for them as they uh, unite with us, and, and of course, God uses that. And then one more, one less. Uh, let me just tell you a little bit about that ministry. That is a growing culture that's happening here in our church. We are seeing more and more families receptive to the idea of, of becoming foster parents, even moving into ideas of adoption. Uh, last Sunday, uh, I had the privilege uh, between the two gatherings to, to stand out there in the, uh, the gathering area, I guess is what you call it. And I saw a family walking up, a new family to our church, and they had what looked to me four two-year-olds. I don't know how you do that. And I said, are these all yours? And they said, yeah, two by birth and two through foster care. So it is happening here in our church where you have those that are coming to join our church, be a part of our church that are in foster care, and of course those who are already. So be praying about that ministry. It is a great ministry for not only our church, but also here in Cleveland County. Well, today we continue 70 days of growing deep. And we're growing deep as a church, as families, and of course, as individuals. Today's week eight. We have a couple more weeks to go. And today we're changing the subject matter from connecting with others to reaching the world. And that's the third part of our vision here at PCC. So today what I want to talk to you about are the barriers and the motivations for serving. What are the barriers that keep us from serving at times? And what are the motivations that should go behind serving in the first place? So look at the introduction there on your outline. As a church family, we are called by God to reach the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. And many of you know the great mandate. Each gospel ends with this mandate. The book of Acts starts with that mandate. And so we see that we've been given the responsibility to share the gospel, to share the good news of Jesus. Now, he accomplishes this through the individuals he places in a local church. And so if we believe that God is sovereign and he is working in our lives, and let's just take these 15, fam or these 15 people who joined our church last week, what we find is that they come in, God has placed them here, just as he's placed you here. And he's, got, he's doing that in which we come together as a church family to reach the world. It begins right here in our community, through our ministries, but it expands in mission to the rest of the world. So, how does he does, do this? He uses five things to shape us for ministry or for service. Now, I've shared with these with you in the past, but it goes into forming your shape. So, our, first of all is our spiritual gifts. 
Each person who knows Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, based on what we know in Scripture, has, the Holy Spirit has imparted a spiritual gift or gifts to you. Today, if you attend the Connect group, maybe some of you have already attended, our goal is to help you determine or help you discover your spiritual gift this morning. And so you'll see that in your Connect groups. But second of all, our hearts, our passions. So we have spiritual gifts. These all go into the whole idea of how God has created you with spiritual gifts. He's given us a heart for things or passion for things. He's also given us abilities. Some of you have special skills that God is causing, give, has given you to use to serve in the body. These here on the platform during worship, God's given them particular skills. Some of you people uh, who have skills in woodwork or whatever it may be, all that can be used for the glory of God. And then, of course, our personalities. We all have different personalities. God is, can use that in a way to reach others. And, of course, our experiences. I say this all the time. I believe my experiences, whether they be good experiences or tough experiences or bad experiences because of my own stupidity, God has given me a great platform of ministry through my experiences in life. And he wants to use the same thing in your life. So God created you, created us for a purpose and a plan. Now, let me say this. Much of our purpose and our significance in life comes from serving others. And by the way, this is one of my most favorite messages I like to give, is just encouraging people to serve God through the local church. I believe it's what he's called us all to do. Now, I want to point out a couple of people that are here this morning, uh, either sitting in the room or there on the live stream. I, there are some people in our church I think we need to take note of this morning. I went back and did a little research. And, and I, our church goes all the way back to 1949, 1949. And, and there's some people in our church. Now, some of you almost made this list, but you missed it. Maybe it's because you were a child during some of this time, or maybe you came a little bit later. But I want to point out that there's some people in this room uh, who have served the church on a consistent basis for now over 50 years. That's amazing when you think about it, isn't it? And so I want to ask you to stand if you're able after all the serving, okay? But Miss Betty McIntyre, would you stand back there? Miss Betty McIntyre, yeah, she served faithfully. Irene Smith, stand up, Irene. Yeah, yeah there we go, yeah. Miss Brenda Mellon, uh, they, they are not attending uh, because of COVID, but they're on the live stream. And then Maynard Deanna Ledford, yep, get up. All right, Tommy and Kathy Earls. Yeah, and, and I hope I hadn't left anybody out, but these people, look at this, over 50 years of ministry here in our church. You can sit down now. We have nothing for you, just acknowledgement, okay? <laughs> God will give you the reward later, okay? But anyway, I, I just think that's phenomenal. And when you think about it, these are people who've given of themselves. These are people who've served faithfully over all these years. And, and for some of you, it's been 20 wonderful years or 30 years or whatever it may be. Maybe just one year and you're new to serving God. Listen, the greatest significance and purpose you can fulfill is to fulfill the purposes God has created you for. So, where's our example? Well, Jesus said, speaking of himself, here's what he said. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served. Now, think about what he's calling himself here. 
The, his favorite title, if you go study the Gospels, Jesus' favorite title of himself is the Son of Man. It literally means the servant of man. The servant of man. So he says, just as a servant of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. He says that about himself. Now, what do we know about Jesus? If you study the Gospels carefully, here's what you'll find. Jesus knew his purpose and mission. Jesus was led by the Spirit in that whole purpose and mission, and we see his sensitivity all through the Gospels. Jesus was faithful to what he was called to. He never lost sight of that. Jesus also made himself available. And then lastly, Jesus was very intentional and deliberate about how God the Father wanted to use him. If, if, believe me, it's a wonderful study when you see the whole motivation behind what Jesus did in the Gospels and, and how he served others. So, then Jesus, through this model, passed the mission and ministry or the serving on to his disciples then to us, the local church. That's how it's come to us. Now, what is the mandate? We've studied this before. We've looked at this. Matthew 28, look here. He, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, he's basically saying, okay, he could have said, I modeled this. He did it wonderfully. But here's what he's saying. He's basically saying, Everything has been given to me. The authority in which I'm about to command you to do has been given to me. But he's passing it to us. He says, go into, he says, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I've commanded you. That is the handoff. He's literally given this to the disciples in which the disciples would set the foundation of the church. They would help expand the, the, the gospel, the good news, until it comes to us 2,000 years later. And guess what? That's the command. It's always been the command. It's never changed. Now, I want you to look at Jesus. We're using him as a model. Jesus knew his purpose. He knew his mandate. Look at what he says in Luke 4. And actually, this is a prophecy spoken of in the Old Testament. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he's anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim victory or liberty to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind. To set at liberty or to free those who are oppressed. Jesus knew exactly what he was called to do. And he fulfilled that mandate. Now, let me ask you a question. What are the barriers that keep us from serving? What happens? Where's the disconnect between Jesus modeling a life of service, it coming to the disciples and them fulfilling what God called them to do, and then it's passed to us as individuals who serve and make up the local church? What are those barriers? Well, the first thing is obvious, self-centeredness. And, and I know this sounds harsh, but, but let's just fake it, face it. Most of us, that is the issue, self-centeredness. In Philippians 2, 4, it says this, Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, our interests are important, but it can't be just about us. What does he say? But also for the interest of others. The number one enemy of ministry, when we really look at it, is this idea of self-centeredness. But many of us totally miss it because we're so busy. 
We're so busy. We, wouldn't, we probably wouldn't look at our lives and say, hey, the reason I'm not serving is because uh, I'm self-centered. No, the reason a lot of us are, are, don't serve is because we're busy and we don't realize that busyness many times points it back to self-centeredness. We get too busy. We have our, our agenda. We have our plans. We have our dreams, our goals, our ambitions. And for some of you, you just don't know how to say no to certain things. Some of you have a problem with that. And it just makes you busy. And, and, and it's not directed towards anything that God created you for and the way he created you. So we were created and saved to give of ourselves. God made us to be a difference maker in the kingdom of God. He's given us the ability to give something back with the gifts, the abilities, the, 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 the passions that may be there in our heart, but also our experiences. Another barrier to serving others, perfectionism. Perfectionism. The Bible says in Ecclesiastes, farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. It's really the whole idea that some of us are just waiting for the perfect moment in which we're going to give ourselves to what God's called us to. And, and y'all, that perfect moment will never come. I, I've heard people say, well, when the kids get out of, out of the house and I'm not so wrapped up. Listen, God's called you to be a parent. He's called you to raise those kids. That is a calling in and of itself. But God has mandated the local church that he's placed you in to reach the world through individuals with the gifts he's given. And God expects that of us. You say, come on, God understands. No, he expects this of us. That's what we find. But some of us are just waiting for the right moment. Some of us are waiting for the right moment where if someone asks us a question about the Bible or who God is or where we can give all the perfect answers. Guess what? I'm a pastor. I've been in this thing for 30-some years. I still don't have all the answers. I was interviewed the other day by one of our interns. And she basically was bringing me questions about what some questions that the, the students had over in the student ministry. And some of the questions I sat there and I said, I think I'm gonna have to get back to you on that. 30 years of ministry. Now you're probably thinking, well, we didn't think you were that bright anyway. Well, that's fine. But the point is I had to figure it out and, and, and I had to get back to her on that. They were great questions, very deep questions. But we're never gonna have all the answers. We're never gonna have that. But we, God has given us mandate to give back. How about this materialism? The Bible says, and Jesus said this, no servant can serve two masters. You can't serve both God and money. You can't, so the, and really when he's talking about money here, he's talking about the pursuit. It's the idea of never having enough. It's the idea of, of uh, this is the pursuit of my life. This is how we determine the winners and losers in life is when it comes to money and how much we can accumulate and all that. And for some of us, I don't know about you, but how many of you have noticed as you get a little older, the more things you, you, you do bring into your life, how many of you notice that many of those things require attention? You, you, you know what I'm talking about? I, I mean, they, they require maintenance. They require all these different things of us. And there's nothing wrong with some of that. I'm not saying that. Listen, many of the people in the Bible that you find were very wealthy people. But yet they knew the balance between what God expected of them and the wealth that they did have. So the question is really this. Am I going to be a kingdom builder or am I going to be a material builder? It really does come down to that. Another barrier to serving others, comparing and criticizing. 
where we're always comparing. Listen, here's what I've learned about ministry. We're all on the same team. We're all pursuing the same command, to, to be faithful to that command. And there's a lot of competition. And I hear that so many times. I hear competition between pastors. I hear competitions between churches. And, man, there's no place for that. We're not in competition with one another. We're here just to be faithful with God's place within our body, to be faithful to that. We've been given different abilities, different tasks, different gifts. It's not a competition. Ministry is also not looking for fault to criticize. I've noticed that many people who, who do a lot of criticizing have a lot of time on their hands. How many of you have ever noticed that? They do. And, and it's not about the criticism. It, it's about serving. It's about getting elbow to elbow and serving the kingdom of God. The question we must really ask ourselves in the context of this is, am I a part of the solution when it comes to these things that do come up. Listen, how many of you agree we're imperfect people? Matter of fact, if I was really bold, I'd tell you to look at the other person this morning and say, you're very imperfect, by the way. But I won't do that to you. But we are. We're imperfect people trying to do a perfect task. And that is to declare someone who's perfection to the world. Sometimes that's difficult. But that's what we've been called to. Sometimes we're called hypocrites. How many of you at times miss it? You just miss it. I mean, sometimes we just miss it sometimes. We do. And there are times, but listen, we're on the same journey. The Bible says in Philippians chapter 2, for it is God who works in you to will and to act according to his purpose. And then he says this, do everything without complaining or arguing. How many complainers do we have in the room? Let's just be honest. How many arguers? Yeah, I work with these people. Um, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I mean, we can t- anyway. I, I, got any whiners? Any good whiners? Yeah. Judy, yeah, I thought that hand would go. Um, <laughs> anyway, now I'm calling people out. Anyway, we, we, we get into that mode, don't we, sometimes? And, and yet, we're told... Don't go there. Don't go there. It's amazing where we find ourselves. Lastly, another barrier to serving others is wrong motives. Our motive for mission and ministry is nothing more than to bring glory to God. Everything Jesus did, okay, if he's the example, everything Jesus did, it was by the will of the Father. Everything Jesus did, it was by the plan of God that he was set forth to come into this world. Everything that Jesus did, there was always this caveat to everything he did. He would always say, I'm here to bring glory to the Father. And that's what we're called to do. And how's the best way we can do that? Through serving him and serving others. You know, self-promotion and ministry really do not mix. When when you say motivation, what is my motivation for serving others? For some people, maybe it's to pad a resume. For some people, maybe it's to look good in the eyes of other people. But that can't be our motivation. It has to all come back to knowing that we are representing God and we are to bring him glory. You you know, it's very interesting that some people, um, when it comes to this idea of wrong motives, 
If we're going to learn to be a servant, we must learn the difference between significance and prominence. And I've shared this with you before. But how many of you would agree that a nose is pretty prominent? A nose, this thing right here. It's pretty prominent, right? For some of you, it's more prominent than others, you know? I'm, I'm in that category, I guess. But, but, but I want you to think about it. You, you have the nose. It, it, it's prominent. Is the liver prominent? Not necessarily, is it? I mean, we can walk up to someone and say, well, how's your nose? And we can look at it and tell how it's going, right? But how many of you walked up to someone and said, how's your liver? Well, you almost have to ask because you don't know. And most of the time, the person don't even know themselves. So, so we got this idea of nose, which is prominent, and a liver, which is, would you say it's pretty significant to have a liver? Pretty significant. But I want you to think about this. So many times in the church, there are positions of prominence, but yet there's also those positions of significance. Everyone who stood on the stage this morning had a prominent position in glorifying God here this morning before you. But did you know there's many people behind the scenes they're significant, that none of this would be possible if it wasn't for what they did, that, that we would really have no business meeting here if no one wasn't praying over what God could potentially do in these gatherings. Did you know there's people that meet here to pray that God would show up in a person's life this morning, that the, the word of God would penetrate someone's life in such a way that it would bring transformation? Do you know people are actually praying for that? Is that a prominent position? No, we, most of us didn't you know that was going on. Was it significant? Or is it significant? Absolutely. And, and you wonder sometimes, where, where do I fit in in all this? But it really doesn't matter. If God's given you a position of prominence whether, or significance, both are equally important. The fact that prayer was prayed over for this gathering, I think is more significant than what I'm doing up here. I really do. But it's God working in and through us together. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 6, he says, Be careful not to do your acts of righteousness before men to be seen by them. Be careful with your motivation. If you do, there will be no reward from your Father who is in heaven. If you're doing it just to be seen, if you're doing it just to, to get notoriety or, or, or to pat a resume or whatever it may be, You've gotten the reward already. There's no other place for it to go. So, what about our barriers to serving? But secondly, what, what are our motivations for serving? I want you to turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. I, I've actually preached this message before. Some of you are going to say, yeah, I, I remember that. But there's something in here. We, if you're going to say, if you're going to talk about ministry and you're going to talk about missions and why we do what we do, Motivation to God is very, very important. God is, he is concerned about what we do. But if you look carefully in scripture, and I'm going to prove it to you in the scripture we're getting ready to share today, why we do what we do is even more important to God. Did you know that? It's amazing when you think about it. So what is the driving force that motivates us, that compels us, that causes us to react to the command given by Jesus to reach the world 
and to serve others. In 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I want you to look at verse 5. Paul was basically writing this from the, from the perspective that, that everyone is necessary in the body, whether it's a significant role or a prominent role, whatever it is. And so look what he says in verse 5. Who then is Paul and who is Apollos? But ministers through whom you believed as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. He's basically saying, I had a role. Apollos had a role. But if God didn't show up, none of it would come to anything. Is basically what he's saying here. Okay? And then he goes on and he says this. So then neither he who plants is anything nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. Now he who plants and he who waters are one. That means one is not greater than the other. And each one will receive his own reward according to his own labor. That means there's a reward at the end of all this, okay? For we are God's fellow workers. You are God's field. You are God's building. He's basically saying you are a work in progress. You're something that God is pouring into. You're someone that, you're, you're one of God's resources. And then he says, verse 10, according to the grace of God, which was given to me, as a wise master builder, I have laid the foundation, and another builds on that. But let each one take heed how he builds on it. That means when we're in the process of serving, when we're in the process of building the kingdom of God, or, or having the privilege to be in service to build that kingdom, we need to take note on how we're doing it. How we're doing it. Okay? Very important. He's saying, pay attention. All right? So... For no other foundation can anyone lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus or Jesus Christ. So, so the point he's trying to say is the greatest thing that we could ever build, ever build, is on the foundation that Jesus Christ laid. Okay? That would include our individual lives. You, you may say, well, the foundation of my life is built on the pursuit of, re, of having things. Or my foundation is the pursuit of having a lot of relationships or whatever it may be. And you're, you're out there, you're pursuing all that stuff. The Bible says, and even King Solomon said it in, the, uh, in, in, in Ecclesiastes, all that's going to fall and crumble one day. But boy, you, you, you start building your life upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. And you begin to see your life through the lens of what Jesus is doing in and through you. And you begin to understand that everything he's given you, including the breath that you have and the skills and the abilities and the giftings that you have, has been given to you by him. You'll see your life in a whole different view. And it'll be one of those things where you can use it to bring him glory. So he's basically saying you need to get down to the right foundation. The problem is many of us get, will get to the end of life and we're saying, you know, we built our whole life and our whole foundation on something that's going to crumble, something that's not going to be lasting. Paul's reminding them, you need to build on something that will be lifelong or, or will be enduring. That's what he's talking about here, that will endure. So, What's next? The examination of our motives. In verse 12, look at what he says. Now, if anyone builds on this foundation, talking about the foundation of Jesus Christ, with gold, silver, and precious stone, wood, hay, and straw. Now, what he's doing is, he's basically talking about there's a difference in ways that we can build on this. 
We can, one way we can get is everything that we can get from Lowe's. Wood, hay, and straw, right? Okay? But there's Zales hanging out there, too. Okay? Or whatever you buy your jewelry from. I don't know where you buy. I'm just calling things out right here. Okay? And so basically, he's basically saying there's a distinction between the first three and the last three. He's going to make that distinction. So, what's the first grouping? Look on your outline. The right motives produce gold, silver, and precious stone. So if you're up here singing to God in the church to, to glorify his name, to, to usher people into his greatness, that's gold. If, if you're giving generously with joy to extend the gospel, that others can be influenced by the gospel and radical transformation can take place in that person, that's silver. If you're teaching this morning or facilitating and you're trying to help others come to the understanding of more fully who they are in Christ, that's precious stone. Those are things that can last. Those are things that can endure. How about a second group of materials? Look on your outline. The wrong motives produce wood, hay, and straw. Singing up here just to get people's attention to say, look at this. Look at, look at, look at how I can sing. Look at, look at what I can do with my voice or whatever it may be. Giving this morning out of duty. Well, and some people do this. I've talked to them. I remember when I was like this. I'm ashamed to admit it, but I remember when I would write my, my, my tithes and my offerings check to my church, I, I remember I, I would put it together with the rest of the bills. Any other you guilty of this? Electric bill. Oh, God, tithe this. I forgot I got to get that right. Yeah. Why would I do that? God is expecting that it might cause the truck to break down this week if I don't give it to her. I mean, there's, it's weird how we look at things, isn't it? But he's basically saying, he's saying, no, 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 you, you give, you give for the glory of God, but he's talking about giving out of duty. How about teaching children because no one else will? Well, they keep saying they need help over there. Guess somebody's got to step up. Guess that'll be me. A straw. Everything we do must be to bring God glory that will be lasting. Verse 13. This is a very important verse. Each one's work will become clear. <laughs> There's going to come a day when there's going to be a motive check. It's going to come a day where it would be proved to us it's not so important what we did as much as why we did it. That's, the, that's what he's bringing us to here. For the day, many of your translations have that capitalized, speaks of some type of judgment, will declare it because it will be revealed by fire. And the fire will test each one's work of what sort it is. Which category is going to fit in? That's interesting, isn't it? What category? Now, some of you may say, well, now, wait a second. The judgment. And when I hear about the judgment, I, I hear of uh, the great white throne judgment in the Bible. And what is all that about? Well, that's basically, if you look at the context of what's happening in Revelation chapter 20, what that is, is, is basically people being condemned to hell. That, that's that judgment, okay? If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you will not be judged at that judgment. 
That if you're a follower of Jesus, that's not your judgment. Your judgment, however, will be based on what we think God's Word is saying, the beam of seat of Jesus or beam of seat of Christ. And that's literally where our works will be judged. It's not a matter where we uh, go to heaven or hell. This, this matters with what we did with our life. Pretty big deal. Everything will be judged. And it's not just what we did. What we did could be burned up. Why did we do it? To bring God glory. Because we love God. Because we're in awe of what he's done for us. This is just our passion now to honor and glorify him and give accordingly to what he desires. It's all going to be evaluated. Next, we see the manifestation of our motives. I want you to look over to chapter 4, 1 Corinthians chapter 4. Look at verse 4. For I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. He's basically saying there's times where um, uh, I'm not sure that I'm doing this for the wrong reason. There's, he's just saying sometimes there's a question mark there. But he who judges me is the Lord. Doesn't matter what I think about it. Doesn't matter the conclusion I come to. I may come in here and say, no, it's all for the glory of God. But it, there may be a something that's actually there. He's saying God's going to bring it to light. Verse 5. Then he flips it on us. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will, bring, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of, of the heart. The word counsels there, some of your translations may say motives of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. That then when it's all said and done, if the motives are correct and the why is all correct and the hows, however you want to put it, when it's all said and done, that's where we're going to see if any of our life is worthy of any kind of praise coming from the one who created us in a certain way, who had a plan, a purpose, and gave us certain things. Then we'll see if there's any praise that comes in and through our life. I want you to notice something. It really all goes back to what God's seeking all along, a relationship. God is seeking a relationship with us. When we got saved, let me just say this. If all you found was a religion, and all you found was, need to be on church, at church on Sunday mornings, I you know, need to give this occasionally, I need to do this occasionally, uh, oh, pray, yeah, I probably need to do that occasionally. Um, that's, not a, that's not a relationship. That's a religion. That, that's just, that, that's not even the same thing. God is seeking a relationship, even in how we serve him. Oh, give, let me give you an example. I've used this before, but one day, let's just say that, that man, I, Tina comes home, my wife comes home, and I've just taken care of the whole house. I knew she was dreading it. I knew that it was probably weighing heavy on her. And man, I got in there. I emptied the dishwasher. I even had to wash a couple because she left them in the sink. I mean, the, the, I mean, and I'm not saying that's her job. I'm not saying, please, you ladies, don't, don't, don't hurt me with those eyes, okay? But, but what I'm saying is I knew this was something that was weighing heavy on her. And I went out of my way to do everything I could to, to alleviate that. And I did it. 
And it's almost like I heard the garage door go up or heard the car pull in. And I'm like the little dog. You know how little dogs meet your, the owner at the door, their tails wagging, you know. I felt just like that, you know. And I, I'm sitting there, opens the door, and I'm standing right there just looking at her. Come on in. Let me show you what I've done to the place. She goes around. Oh, thank you so much for doing this. Oh, honey, thank you. I mean, I, I, you just don't know. This is, this is, and what if I interrupted her right there and said, since I did all this, may I go play golf today? <laughs> How is she going to really take that? Now, knowing her, well, she's just glad it happened. How many of you women are like that? I'm just glad he did it. You know, <laughs> I don't care if he wants to go play. Yes, yeah, sure, go play golf. But that doesn't work with God. Because really, in that moment, I could have really shown something to her, couldn't I? How much I care for her. How much this isn't about me. This all was about you. Did I kind of blow it when it came to that? Yeah, I really did, didn't I? And the point is this, y'all. God is seeking a relationship with us. Something in which we do all that we do. We use the resources he's given us in such a way. We, we're there. We, he's looking for the intimacy of the relationship. That's what he's looking for. Our service on the outside sometimes may look gold, like gold to others, but in God's eyes it may not be nothing more than hay or straw. It's important, not only what we do, but why we do it. Next, Motives are chosen. You choose the motives you have. If you look in verse 5 of chapter 4 again, it says, it reveals the counsels of the heart. It literally is talking about the motivation, motivations of the heart. It, to, it means to will deliberately, to have a purpose that is minded. The idea presented here is a, a ver, in this verse is, is the individual chooses his or her motives. Why am I doing this? There's a checkpoint in which you're looking at it. I mean, think about it. There's a lot of things in life we don't have a choice about. Whether we're, I was going to say whether we're a boy or girl or anyway, um, whatever it may mean. I mean, we, we, we typically don't have a choice in many matters when it comes to this life. But when it comes to our motives, guess what? We have a choice. A choice. And Paul is basically saying be careful with not only what you do, but why you do. Next, motives are covered. In verse 5, he talks about the hidden things. Our motives, listen, are hidden from others. And this is the reason we should not judge people's motives. There's times in which, how many of you have ever heard, saw someone do something great and sat there and thought about, yeah, wonder why they did that. They just wanted to be noticed, I bet. Look at them. Who do they think they are? We have no business judging that. We don't know. We don't know the heart. God sees our motives, and he will judge our motives. Next, motives are quite often corrupted. There's, there's times where it's just corrupted. Look in verse 4. He says, the hidden things of darkness. Paul's talking about motives, that's come, motives that have come under suspicion because the agenda is wrong. Uh, maybe there's an ulterior motive here. Think about it. Why do we do what we do? 
There's some of you, and man, I'm getting ready. Mm, I'm talking about myself too. There's some of you who have a fear of rejection. And the reason you can't say no to anything is because you're afraid you're going to be rejected. And if you go through life and even serving God and, only, and your motivation is because you fear the rejection and it's not for the glory of God or it's not because you want to honor him in any kind of way, guess what? That meets your need. How many of you that just hurts right there? For some of us, it's the fear of failure. We do it because, listen, I don't want anyone to see that I potentially in any area of life could, could, could be a failure in something. And we're so driven we got to check the motives. Look at what he says in verse 13 of chapter 3 again. He says, each one's work will become clear. And then he talks about the fire. Fire in the, is a symbol of testing. Fire purifies. It discerns what is worthless and what is valuable. Next, the evaluation of our motives Number one, right motives are enduring. They're valuable. Look at verse 14. If anyone's work, which he has built on it, endures, he will receive a reward. So our whole lives are built on the foundation of Jesus Christ. Our salvation set us on that foundation in such a way that we now live on that foundation. Everything about our lives flows from that foundation. And we're up here and we're doing this and we're not only doing the watch, we're doing the wise right. We're doing everything right and we're doing everything. And he's basically saying there's going to be a reward associated with that at some time. But then there's the wrong motives are loss. The wrong motives are loss. Useless. Look at verse 15. If anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss, but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. Now, what are we talking about here? Again, this is, when he says this, he's, he's talking about they're going to be saved. They're, it's not a matter of heaven or hell at this judgment. That's not the case here. The case here is, are there any potential rewards that can come to your life because of what you've done for Jesus Christ, for God and his glory. It's not a matter of your salvation, but he's basically saying a lot of our lives can be consumed in a moment because the why was not right. Jesus said to the Father, I've brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Jesus is basically saying, I am satisfied, and my satisfaction comes from the fact I did it because that's what you desired in my life. Many times when it comes to our serving, we don't see the big picture. I want to close with this. Let's say a couple visits our church today. And by the way, we have had many, many people uh, not only joining our church, but, but coming to our church. Guests. Matter of fact, the people who, who are watching by live stream who, who don't feel safe for them to come back, if they did come back, we're, we're going to have some space issues, to be honest with you, because God is really putting a lot of people in the path of our church, and there's a lot going on here, but let's just say a young couple comes, or a couple comes today, and they walk onto the campus, and the greeter greets them with a smile. Is there anything I can do for you? And our greeters do a fantastic job with that. They drop off their children at a designated area, maybe the preschool, the children, the student ministry. They go to a connect group where there's a, a teacher, a facilitator, connect leader there. 
Then they come to this worship gathering. Again, they're welcomed by a greeter. Maybe they sit in the gathering. They hear the worship and all those who participated in that, the teaching of God's word. Maybe, for, maybe they come to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. Or maybe their marriage was on the rocks and all of a sudden God gave them hope through the message. Now, who gets the credit for that? God, correct? But guess who else can be in the path of that great reward? We can. He's given us that ability. From the greeter to the person in the prayer room to the person on the platform to the, to the person wherever they may be, God wants us to see there's a big picture at work here when it comes to the kingdom of God, when it comes to the transformation of a person's life. That's the greatest thing he wants to ever see is for that to take place. And he lets us in on the possibility of that. So here's the application. What are you doing with what God has given you? Your gifts, your resources. What is your motivation for serving? Some of you are faithful servants to God, but I don't want you to miss out. Why do you do what you do? Evaluate that. And then lastly, will your service be lasting or lost? See, God's not trying to punish us in any way. It's just God has set the terms for which he will be glorified, and he's also set the terms in which he will be worshipped. He set those terms. We can't go around setting those terms. He set the terms for salvation, but isn't it amazing how everybody in in our world seems to be able to think they can add to the terms of salvation or take away? He sets all that up. It's him. And he's saying, what is important Why is very important because that's what connects us to the relationship he desires with us is the why. Would you stand to your feet? Would you pray with us? Father, we just come to you right now. I just thank you so much for a room full of people that love you, obviously, or they wouldn't be here. I thank you for a room full of people here who are looking for answers this morning because I don't believe they'd be here if they weren't. But Father, I pray if anything that we take away from this this morning is the fact that we are building or we're living our lives based on the fact that we're building it on the foundation that Jesus Christ left for us. From our salvation to how we serve to why we serve, it's all built on Him. And for someone here today, Father, maybe there's someone here today who, who's never thought of their life as, as their life being built on the foundation of Jesus, and they've never trusted you as their Lord and Savior for, for salvation. I pray today would be the day they give their life to you. Father, for that person that maybe they've been serving for some time, but honestly, when they look back over it all, the why, the answer to why is not really there. Father, I pray today they will come to terms with the why. The fact you desire relationship, not religion, not not religious duty, but a relationship. Father, I thank you for these servants that we mentioned earlier that have been serving around here for over 50 years now. There's some in this room that almost made it that's been serving 40 years and 30 years and 20 and 10 and even one year. Father, we just thank you for those who who've built on the foundation of Jesus Christ through this local body. Father, we pray that all those that you lead our way will catch the vision that life has purpose and meaning 
when we build on the foundation of Jesus Christ, when we pay attention to the why. Father, have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.